afraid get out of the way. So um, let's turn our um, hearts and minds then to continuing our worship as we come uh, to God with the privilege to, um, that we have to pray together. Um, if you'll bear with me, I want to read a couple of passages. Um, we sang in one of our songs about the word made flesh and the silent word pleading, and so I want to just uh, expound on that a little bit. So from Isaiah uh, 55, in verse 10, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be, which comes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And to remind us of what the Lord was talking about in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has, not come, into, that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So let's pray uh, to the Lord who sent us the word in the form of Jesus Christ. Father, we are most thankful to you. We are thankful to you for your great plan of salvation for us. We thank you for your word, which has been from the beginning. And we thank you that the word was made flesh according to your purposes and came forth in peace and leads us with joy. We thank you for the word that is in our presence to this day that you have preserved for us and that we can also sit under its teaching and hear it preached. So we thank you that it is um, effective and it is indeed, Lord, um, just the very uh, part of us that, is, uh, that you have implanted in us through your spirit. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you lead us in peace. And we, re we rejoice, Lord, this day in the reality of the salvation you have furnished for us. We are evidence, Father, of your work. And I pray that you would now make us witnesses of that work as well. We are called to one faith, and I pray that we would live to one purpose. You have called us as one church to the corners of the world and the earth and many languages. We are one uh, body that is um, united by faith. And Father, you have also called us into this congregation, into this body, into this church. You have brought many and made us one. And I pray, Father, that you, through your spirit, would accomplish that which we can't do for ourselves, that you would knit our hearts and our minds together, that we would love one another, and that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would be of one heart and one mind in all that we do. Father, I pray this for our leadership. I pray this for the new officers that are uh, being trained and we are considering um, calling to serve this body. I pray uh, for our leadership as well as we look at um, what we need for a building and how we might accomplish that. 
So it's wisdom that we need, wisdom from on high. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. But we want to do what you want us to do. So we pray that we would be humble before you in seeking what you would have us to do. And Father, as we know we are to bear one another's burdens. And towards that end, I want to lift up again to you our brother Tim Dillinger. And Father, I want to pray for his health as he recovers from um, a traffic accident. I want to pray for this new job that he has and give thanks for that and pray that it would be uh, one that he could succeed at and find joy in. And Father, we also pray for housing as he is um, currently in need there. And if we can help him to find that until he can get on his feet again, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds and even our homes to help him do that. So I do just pray for him and pray that you'd be with him this hour and that he might know the love of Christ through how we can serve him. And Father, we also want to pray for our neighbors. And toward that end, I again lift up our jobs for life effort. We prayed last week for some of the people involved. I also want to thank you for Tim and Janelyn and their service, not only in jobs for life, but in the quiet way that they serve this congregation as well. And I pray your blessing on them. I thank you for David Christopher and his faithfulness to that ministry and also the other um, parts of this church that he's involved with, from music um, to also just caring for the lost and reaching out to people in need. And I thank you for that compassionate heart that he has. And do pray for him, Lord, that uh, you would continue to prosper him and that you'd also um, be with him as he needs healing for his hand and give uh, those that might be treating him wisdom in that and bring healing quickly. And Father, also in the Jobs for Life, I want to thank you for Phil and for his vision for that and for his faithfulness to that and for the heart that you've given him uh, for those people. And so I do pray not only for us, but for those men and women that are in that class, that they may be able to see the light of Christ in us and to seek that light for themselves. And so, Father, I thank you as well. And uh, for the opportunity we have to come together in freedom to worship you and pray now that as we continue to to worship and to hear your word proclaimed that it would be proclaimed with power that you would give fill your words to speak that you would open our hearts and minds to hear it and indeed act upon it so that we might leave here as changed people in jesus name amen Let's turn our hearts and our minds this morning to God's word from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is God's word. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. We're continuing in our series here to celebrate Advent and preparing our hearts, renewing our hearts in recognition of Christ's first coming. Part of the purpose of Advent is to consider and prayerfully uh, devote ourselves with expectant hearts to his second coming. Christ has come. He is now at the right hand of God the Father, but he has promised to come again. Well, the first, some of the first folks to receive Christ and to see him were the shepherds. And so last week, we took up to ask the questions, what did the shepherds see? What did they see at the manger? This week, we're going to look at what they heard, and next week, we're going to look at what they spoke or what they said in response to that they had seen and that that they heard. This morning, I want to ask two things. Before you leave, if you'll look on the bottom of your outline, if you look into your bulletin, you have a sermon outline, there's a blank. We're going to be looking at the message that they heard from the angel was, fear not, listen or hear well. And then to make peace. And to make peace, we need to be aware and to make peace with God and to receive that peace that has been made with God through Christ. But there would have been a response of the shepherds at the admonition of the heavenly choir to make peace now that peace is made with God than to live at peace and to make peace with others. And that blank there, I want to encourage and challenge you to fill that blank in. To fill that blank in with a name, an individual. And that this Advent season, as you would be reminded and celebrate afresh and anew the peace that has been made with God through Jesus Christ, then now you would be like these shepherds and like the angels. You would be a herald of peace and go under the leading of God, to make peace with that individual. The second thing that I want to do is I want to encourage you to consider this question. Does God still speak today? He seemed to speak through the angel and then the angel choir so clearly, so extraordinarily clear to the shepherds. Does God still speak today? What does that How does he speak today? Can I expect God to speak to me through an angel? Does God speak, does he still speak through angels? Does God speak today? And if he does, what difference does it make? 
This morning, I want to give credit to uh, Tim Keller. A number of years ago, uh, he preached a sermon on this text, and this is his outline. Now, I took the liberty and rearranged his outline some, but it's his outline. Secondly, years ago, I read a sermon by uh, Dr. Francis Schaeffer, and it was a Christmas devotion that he gave at, at that time, Labrie. And it was called, What the Shepherds, you know, What Difference Does Looking Make? And it was about the shepherds and their approach and their, their viewing of Christ. And so I'm very indebted to those two men and their writing. I'm also indebted to Charles Spurgeon, who has preached uh, profusely on this text, among others. He was a, a very, you know, he, he was just preached numerous, numerous sermons. But in looking at this text, he found himself again and and again and again not focusing simply on what the angels said and what the shepherds said, even though he did make that one of his focuses, but his chief focus was on who is saying it, who is speaking to the shepherds. And if you notice here, it tells us in verse 9 that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. That's angel singular. And their response to this angel and the glory of the Lord shining around them was to be filled with fear. An angel tells them, fear not. What was it about the angel that gave them such a a pause to fear? The word here for fear, full of fear, is megaphobic. Megaphobic. It means mega fear. Of all fears, this is the greatest fear. We read in Isaiah 6 that when he encountered the angels in the temple that they were seraphim. They had six wings. They, they used two to cover their faces, two to cover their bodies, and two to cover their feet. And they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah said, I feel like I'm flying apart. I'm coming undone in their presence. He was full of fear. Who are these mysterious beings? These other out-of-this-world being called angels. The Bible tells us that there are six type of angels. There are the seraphim, as I've just described in Isaiah 6, and they appear again in Revelation around the throne. They seem to be those that are very close to, to the throne and for the purpose of worship. Then there are the cherubim. And we read that when Solomon built the temple in 2 Chronicles, you can read there that there were cherubim, two huge cherubim, made out of wood and covered with gold, that their wings covered the span of the temple. One wing touched a wall, another wing, they, it touched the wing of the other cherubim, and then his wing touched a wall. His or her, we don't know about, I don't know what angels are. And then we read that in the Holy of Holies, on top of the the ark, were two cherubim. And there there are two wings, once again, not six, but two wings. 
that if they were bent over the ark, their wings touched. And the top of that was called the mercy seat, where God dispensed mercy in receipt of the sacrifice. And it was from the mercy seat that He spoke to His people, His adopted people, Israel, that He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And then there was a veil, a curtain that was made, and Solomon had it embroidered with cherubim. Was that what the the shepherds saw? Was it seraphim? Was it a seraphim here in verse 9? Was it a cherubim that he saw? There's a third class of angel, or a third type of angel, and it's fallen angels. We read that Lucifer, who was one of the princes of angels, he fell from heaven after his assault on the throne of God with a third of the angels. And that a number of them were imprisoned, and then a number, given a period of freedom, are known as demons. So there's a third type of angel, a fallen angel. And this angel is not simply some dark specter, but we're told that we need to be on guard. For Satan himself or his minion can appear even as an angel of light. That wouldn't have been this angel though. Not this angel that is heralding and broadcasting the good news that Christ has come. Another type of angel is the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, sometimes where that appears in the Scripture, it is an angel from the Lord. And other times, it is the the Lord of the angels. It is Jesus Christ Himself, such as in the book of Daniel. We believe that it was actually Christ Himself in the fiery furnace where the the guards look in and they say, wow, we threw three men in three men in, but there's one who is walking around like the Son of Man. We, we read where there are angels that appeared without wings, seemingly, to speak to Abraham about what they were going to do at Sodom and Gomorrah. Was that this angel? Was it Christ Himself appearing to talk about Himself? I don't think so. I submit to you that this angel was Gabriel. And if it wasn't Gabriel, then it was one of the guardian angels this scripture mentions. Now again, I could make a whole sermon on what I've been learning about angels this week. As I began to look in this text and and, and focus on what the shepherds heard, I couldn't, I would be remiss to say, who are they hearing it from? But we read here earlier in Luke 1, and I won't turn to it now, but in Luke 1, we read that it was Gabriel that spoke to Zechariah. And once again, when he makes his appearance, he said, Don't be afraid. And I don't believe it was because there was anything fearful in his appearance. I don't believe it was was wings or fire emanating from his body. Then he spoke to Mary. And Gabriel spoke to Mary and told her the good news 
that she would conceive without a husband. She would conceive, and the baby that she would bear, the baby she would suckle at her breast, would not be a mere mortal. But he would be fully man, but he would have God as his father, and he would be fully God. He would be the promised Messiah. He would be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. As a human, he can bear the penalty. And as divine, it will be accepted without sin. That was Gabriel. And I believe that it was Gabriel who now comes to these men and he speaks. Why the fear? Why the fear? We read in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I believe that initially, with the appearance of the angel, that their hearts condemned them, and that the angel, as a representative of the voice of God speaking to them, as a messenger of God, tells them, do not be afraid, and he gives them the reason. And it's that their hearts would no longer condemn them because God has come to not condemn them. Do you believe in angels? Do you believe that angels are still around us? The shepherds, it's remarkable to me, that the shepherds never questioned the angels and their reality. If you were uh, Jewish, you would always live with an understanding of the Old Testament and how God and the heavenly angels many times intersected with human life. The shepherds that night were not asleep. It says there in verse 8 that they were watching their flock by night. They weren't asleep, but they were simply looking out into the dark. And they were there as very plain and ordinary men. But notice that the angels come to them and they hear very well. They hear very, very well. They listen. They don't say, oh, we only listen to God. We don't believe in angels. You're a, you're a foreign object to us. Angels would have been on their mind. They would, have, they, would have learned, they would have known that there are such a thing as angels. And they wouldn't have found it to be a strange thing at all that there will be times that God will speak to men, these men at this time, through angels. That was one of his chosen vehicles or vessels for his message. And so, these shepherds were not so much fearful because they were surprised, but they're fearful because their hearts were going to condemn them in the presence of this pure light, in the presence of this holy, holy, these holy beings, as it were, without sin, that coming from the presence of God with God's words to men. And so now they speak, and the shepherds hear. I want to tell you that 
the shepherds and the angels, they would have been ordinary men, and the angels to them would have been an ordinary means of communication. If you believe with me that the magi or the wise men were Gentiles, how did God speak to those outside of the Jewish faith? outside of the Hebraic record and the oral tradition of the Old Testament that they would have known in their home? How did God speak to Gentile astronomers? He spoke to them in the lingua franca. He spoke to them in their own language. He spoke to them with a star. How would He speak to shepherds who have most often would look up into the dark sky and say, it was on such a night as this that the angels came down and spoke to Jacob such that there was a stairwell to heaven. It was on such a night as this. He spoke to the shepherds, ordinary men, in the language of their day, he spoke through angels. Do you notice that the shepherds got an angel and everybody else gets a shepherd? Well, We have today, as ordinary men, God speaks in a language that is not extraordinary to us. He doesn't speak to us any longer through angels. He speaks to us through His Word. He speaks to us through another shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. We're taught in Hebrews 1, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. Verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. In other words, this universe is held up by His words. And it is He, very God of God, who speaks to us with the same word. And that so trumps the messenger of the word of angels. And that's what the author of Hebrews says in verse 4. Having become, that is Christ and his word, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In other words, don't ever bemoan the fact that if I could just have an angel to talk to me, then I would believe. I would have confidence that my sins are really forgiven. That God and I are really now reconciled. Or, I could believe in God if He would speak through an angel. He's given us something better. Far better. And if I dare say, even more trustworthy. But He's giving us something that He Himself says is superior. He's given to us, two rivers, His Word. It seems, though, so ordinary. But aren't we? He's speaking in a language we can understand. And may we take advantage of it. And the way that we take advantage of it is that we learn to listen in extraordinary ways. And we see in this text not only the shepherds, but we see two other people, as it were, that are listening. We read over in verse 17. 
that when they saw it, that is the manger, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Here we find that people who heard the shepherds, people who heard that message from men, they wondered about it. They began to think about it. And wonder, when you wonder about something, is to not approach it with skepticism or cynicism. You're not looking to pick it apart to, to, to put it down. It's, it's, you're wondering at almost, where is this going? And how does this fit in? And this is an amazing thing. People began to wonder. Mary began to ponder. And notice that she treated it like treasure. Martin Luther, during the Reformation, was very instrumental, along with the Gutenberg Press, at putting the words of God into the hands of the people. Before that, only the clergy, only the clergy, only the the elders, as it were, or the priest, would read and possess the Scriptures. But Martin Luther then said, as you come into possession of God's Word, God's Word, then you must not only read, but you must, number one, meditate. You must ponder. And as you meditate, you need to think. And think in terms of who is speaking here and what does this say to me? And what action does it call to call me to? What promise does it remind me of? What prohibition does it warn me of? You begin to think. You look at it. You meditate. You begin to think. And then, he says, you turn it into a prayer. In other words, you actually have taken the Word of God into you and you're, you're, you're listening to it in an extraordinary way. Psalm 119 Verse 15 and 16, which Psalm 119, it's quite a long psalm, but you'll notice that over and over and over again, though there are different synonyms, it's all about the intake and the benefit of God's words to us. But verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts, I will fix my eyes on your ways, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. No mere cursory reading. No mere trying to read the Bible through in one year just to be able to get that off the list. This would be more like getting hung up on one verse for weeks at a time in order to to chew and to meditate and to apply as it really is God's word, come to me. So the shepherds, in their encounter with an angel, could have their consciences relieved to say, I've not come from heaven as a destroying angel. I've not come from God to shine a light on your sin in order to condemn you. Do not let your past sin 
or your present follies or your future fear of death and standing before God at judgment, don't let that trouble your conscience anymore. Because I bring you, and the word good news is the word we have for gospel. I bring you the gospel. I bring you news that peace has been made at the manger. And the shepherds heard. They listened well. And they chewed on that. And they respond. It tells us here that in verse 15, when the angels went away from them in heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has now revealed to us. He's made known this to us. They didn't say, let's just go, just to be sure, let's go check this out, because I have a lot of... No! They heard, they meditated on it, they processed it, and they said, it's true. It's true. We receive it with confidence. And their obedience to go, their confidence to go, is based again on the words of God coming alive to them as they learn to hear, to hear well. Our own confession of faith says this concerning effectual calling. Effectual calling is when God speaks and that filter, as it were, that's all clogged, that we don't hear correctly, if at all, God removes the filter. Bear with me through the language, and then I want to give you an image. At the right time, appointed by Him, that is Christ, God effectually calls all those and only those whom He has predestined to life. He calls them by His Word and His Spirit out of their natural state of sin and death into grace and salvation. In other words, their natural state, just going our own way without God, is the way of death and sin. But He comes in and He speaks into that natural state and He brings us by His grace into a state of salvation. The rescued ones. Through Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually with a saving understanding of the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills by His almighty power, leads them to do what is good, and so He effectually draws them to Jesus Christ, but they come to Jesus voluntarily, having been made willing by God's grace. Bear with me. Bear with me. What happens... Is imagine that you're in a you're in a basement dungeon and you're in the dark. And God, through the person of Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, opens the door and this incredible light now shines into your dark prison. And now the light all around exposes you. And you see yourself in rags. And you see yourself in your fearful condition. And you are fearful. But He calls you and He says, Don't be afraid. I've not come to execute you. I've come to rescue you. I've come to bring you from your natural state into my 
home, into my world, into my life. I've come to bring you out. And at that point, with his glory shining all around us, we come alive. For the first time, we see the light, we hear the voice, and he draws us. He draws us. In the last issue of Christianity Today, Lynn Wilder, in sharing her testimony as a Brigham Young University Mormon professor, shared her testimony of how she came to leave Mormonism. And it all started when her son called her, having been away on his two-year mission trip, He called her and said, Mom, they're sending me back home because I've been reading my Bible and I'm questioning Mormonism. Mom, read the Bible in preparation for me to come home since they're dismissing me from this mission trip and I think they're going to excommunicate me from Mormonism. Well, his mother was outraged. She was upset with her son, didn't understand what the Mormon church was doing, so she began to read the Gospels. She states this, When I read what Jesus said in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. I knew I was being drawn, sucked, pulled, conveyed, transported. In physics, an event horizon is a boundary beyond which the gravitational pull is so powerful that there is no escape. This was my event horizon. As I read the Bible, my appetite for God grew exponentially. I felt myself drawn to Him at an ever-increasing speed. That is what was happening to the shepherds. And then later, as they would speak, as they would speak of the event, as they would speak of what they saw, as they would speak of what they heard, other people would wonder or they would ponder. They would also begin to experience an event horizon where God has now come to earth. God has come down. He has opened the door. The light is shining in. And I look and He says, does anybody want to come out? And we all do when we see Him. It's irresistible. No one ever says, no, close the door, take your glory with you, and leave me to die in the darkness. No shepherd would stay when the angels had left and simply stare at the dark again. They could never look into the heavens again and say, maybe the angels would, will return. They could look into the heavens, and every time they would look, they'd be reminded of this event. But what's more, they would follow, they would follow those words. They would find them to be true. They would experience them for themselves. And they would come to realize that the angels, who at this point... A multitude of angels has come, and I believe that it's as if heaven was empty. I don't know who was keeping the streets swept. I don't know who was left in heaven. Because at this point, as Matthew Henry says, it was as if the angels would express a doxology 
in response to what the angel had testified to. In other words, one angel had no more than finished saying, for to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then notice what he does. He gives them the direction. He gives them the scavenger hunt clues. He said, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, the doxology, the, the greatest number of angels singing, they say, glory to God in the highest, singing the highest praise, the highest song that they can sing in response to a baby in swaddling clothes, to a baby lying in a food trough. What they're singing about, these who were with God at the birth of creation and sang, we're told, elsewhere when the world was created, now that He has come to earth, they sing again. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your downward flight to earth. Ye who sing creation's story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. What's happening, folks, is they're saying that peace has now been made with God and men. And it was a peace that they could only wonder at. But they would praise God in the highest, and they say the highest song, the greatest praise for the salvation that He's provided. There's nothing greater to praise God for. There's nothing greater that should elicit a doxology from angels or from men. And that is that God from on high has come as low as you can come in order to bring those who are low on high to live with Him. God has done it. He has made peace with Himself through Jesus Christ come to us. And that's Christmas. And these shepherds, they would leave. And these men who probably, Francis Schaeffer says, they were accustomed most likely to solving issues with their fist. But he uses a story at one point where he says, can you imagine now where their consciences no longer condemn them, where they're told, do not be afraid. And they heard it and they received it with confidence that you are forgiven. This is good news. And like Mary, when Gabriel spoke to her, you're favored by God. It's not because you deserve it and it's not because of anything that you've done or will do, but God has put His favor upon you and to the shepherds. God has now revealed these things to you, a Savior. He is your Savior. Can you imagine them at a, at a well as, they, as the herds with a competing herd or flock begins to merge and they begin to tussle over who has rights first to the well? Can you imagine some shepherd who has seen that peace was made in a manger? That that was where the civil war was ended? The battle is over. The treaty has been made. That peace has been accomplished. Can you imagine a shepherd now taking his staff and whacking another shepherd? Hey, I got peace with God. Hey, don't shove, fella. Get out of the way. It's business as usual. No. Their hearts 
which formerly would have condemned them, but now they have been shown a wonderful grace. They would look to those that they have been condemning and they would show grace to them. And that's the way good news works. When I begin once again to ponder, to ponder how dearly loved I am, sinner though I am, but how He calls me His child and I am His and my salvation is assured and peace has been made, that propels me, that propels me to love others. Francis Schaeffer said, this is how you see and recognize the gospel in society. It is where the offended one goes to the offender and he sues for peace. And that is the gospel that the angels spoke to the shepherds. That is what they heard. That God, the offended one, has come to us, the offender, and He has sued for peace, and He has opened our heart and our ears to hear what the shepherds have heard again this day. Now may we go to others and reflect the gospel that is true for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask, Lord, that you would take these good gifts that are before us on this table, and as we take the bread and the cup, that like your word, it would be something that we're able to chew upon to get its great benefits, to receive its promises, the promise that we who have heard this good news and we who have received it, peace has now been made with you and we are free to show peace to others. Father, this Christmas, may we reflect again and again on your words to us, words of life, and may they flow from our life even to give life to others. May we receive again this day your peace, and so show peace to others. And we ask it in Christ's name.